Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is Warning Co host Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelagon. And tonight's episode number 40 is the top five worst horror remakes of all time. Um, how are you feeling tonight, Frank? I feel good. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, this is something totally different than we've ever done before in terms of one of our lists before because normally we're doing the, the best of, and this is the first time we've ever delved into the worst of, which is something that you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we'll see how things go. Things are going to be a little, little different than what we normally do tonight, um, because of the content, but, um, yeah, I'm excited for it. See how it goes. So, um, before we get into the episode tonight, I just wanted to thank one of our listeners, uh, Howard, um, one of our new listeners, uh, who liked us on the Facebook page this week. Uh, I just wanted to use this as a quick plug for remembering that if you like the podcast, please go ahead and share or like us on Facebook. It helps us immensely. When Howard liked our page, our downloads really shot up like a lot this past week, which we appreciate everybody that's new that's downloaded and gave us a listen and um, checked us out. Um, but that really helps us immensely more than anything else you can do um, in terms of kind of uh, showing support on uh, Facebook or, um, you know, reading reviews on, you know, uh, I guess iTunes is going away like for podcasts, but, um, uh, Apple podcasts, Google, uh, podcasts, those kind of things like leaving reviews really helps us a lot too, but even just a like helps immensely. So thank you, Howard. And thank you everybody that's, um, liked our page in the past week. Uh, and we really appreciate it. Um, so Frank, uh, before we get into talking about the top five lists, was there any movies that you, had that you considered for the list and did not end up so the choosing i guess the genesis of this to me was watching the pet cemetery remake Mm. which is god awful so while i was watching it and like lamenting my choice to like rent that shit on prime um i started thinking like man like there's so many bad remakes so i started making a list of bad remakes and it's it's a pretty extensive list um I mean, there's stuff like the Clash of the Titans remake is terrible. Um, the Amityville Horror remake and the Omen remake from, like, the early 2000s awful. That Ben-Hur remake from a couple years ago is, like, an abysmal, like, piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we were going through it and I was, like, kind of sending you my ideas, um, you pointed out that um, I think four of the five of the original were all horror movies, so that maybe we oh, should... Oh, right. I can't remember what I can't replaced... remember what was on there now, yeah. Um... Yeah, oh, you know what it was? It was uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Yes. Um, which, which we is, saw in the theater together right, back in one of the most, or whatever. One yeah. of the most embarrassing yeah. film-watching experiences of my yeah. life. Um, but we took that off and substituted something equally as embarrassing. Um, but just like... So I tried to think of it, okay, like, I don't want to do... Because Pet Cemetery, listen, is abysmal. But it's a remake of an adaptation of a book. And one of these, one of the movies on this list, the two of the movies on this list kind of meet that requirement. But I was trying to do things that were remakes of movies that were successful in the first place. And even though the original Pet Cemetery isn't a great movie, it's got some really well done scenes in it. Like the Zelda scenes are really good. Um, yeah, there's a lot of scenes that really affect. There's gauge, a lot of stuff. Yeah, gauge, gauge cutting, um, the Achilles tendon of the, the Achilles old guy. tendon yeah, is really Fred effective. Winsen, yeah, Fred Wynn in the original, right? And it's also actually a good adaptation of the book, like within reason. Like sure. it follows the course of the book. Whereas the remake from last from this year, I guess it came out or last year, maybe last October, I can't remember. 
um, veers so wildly from like the original source mm-hmm. material that it just doesn't even make any sense. Like it's just mind numbing to sit there and watch and say like, how do you not understand? what you're you know like Stephen King hates the the Kubrick Shining for that very reason and yet hasn't come out and said what a shit remake Pet Cemetery is even though it's like it's just so bad like it's so yeah. bad well I mean come on I mean I think most people know King's just wrong about Kubrick Shining right and I, but you know what as the original creator like I'm fine with him I, I have, I have I no problem with him. with him having that opinion that's his material like you know originally but, uh, but he's his, just wrong his arguments against it should be the same arguments against this pet cemetery sure. like changing it's like I don't know like anytime you change you take a central theme of a work and you're adapting it and you change it so it's something entirely different like, you better change it to something entirely different in a good way. Like, so I like Fight Club, actually, better than the source material, the Poloniak novel. Sure. Because I think that the changes they make make it a more engaging narrative from, like, a visual perspective. Like, it makes it a more engaging story. Whereas, I don't think you have the same connection with the characters in the book. Like, the book is much more just an anti-capitalist, like... I don't know. Sure, and I think even Palinuk has come out and said um, the opposite of King that he actually thinks the movie's better. Right, than and book. you know Fincher does a fantastic job, sure. like taking the the core tenant of that book and making it something different. That's a good filmmaking experience. But man, like, and mo- most remakes I also feel are like totally unnecessary. Like well, I'm sort of I have this feeling now, and I haven't seen any of them, so I can't like comment from a you know like an actual like observer's perspective but i feel this way about these disney remakes that are all coming out like Mm. all the live action remakes right but even that you're remaking your own thing like Mm. as a company sure and you're not actually remaking it you're just reimagining it in the live action arena and the jungle book one i thought was actually really good Mm -hmm. and it's been what 50 years since the jungle book came out 40 Mm. years so whatever that's fine now i don't know if you need to remake a lion king you know whatever 25 years after it came out but whatever i mean they're gonna do what they want to do and that's fine i'm i have no interest in it because i think it's a money grab but i mean but like clash of the titans like why do you need to remake clash of the Titans? sure i mean i'll end up watching those disney things because my wife will end up watching them and like i'll see i'll see half of them like here and there and you know and i'm sure some will be really good and some won't be but uh, i just a lot of these two like are masturbatory experiments by people that should know better like sure the the king kong remake from 05 by jackson yeah you take i'm not even a huge fan of king kong and like i love old horror but like king kong is one of my least favorite of like the giant monster movies sure but the original king kong and even like the 70s remake are fine like they're Mm -hmm. relatively short they tell the story in the way it needs to be told they don't add a bunch of like you know, the 70s remake doesn't add a bunch of, like, exposition or yeah, extra yeah. characters. And then, like, you have this, what was it? Like, it's three hours long, I think, right? The one from over It was really long when we watched it, And it's it, yeah. so boring, and it's so scattered, and it's yeah. so... Just, I don't... It's just terrible. It's an awful movie. Like, I... I God, I hate that movie so much. Yeah, it's bad. And I feel that way, honestly, about Spike Lee's Old Boy. Like, I think Old Boy is yeah. an unnecessary... And it's almost like... We don't trust American audiences to be able to read a subtitle, so <laughs> let's just, like, 
and there's like a glut of horror movies from the early to mid 2000s that do that with you know japanese horror sure but like and all of them not as good it's not difficult like so if you want to tell that story the basic story of revenge you know like the double revenge that old boy encapsulates write a new write a new story yeah don't call it old boy or say like inspired by or something like that but like don't remake the movie yeah i mean i'll I'll say this that i think and this is giving these filmmakers a little bit of credit maybe or a benefit of the doubt i should say is this it's it's a very hard thing to do i think is to make a remake and most of these people are taking these like you some of these names are pretty big on this list and some of them aren't sure. but you just think in general it's like about somebody like a studio decides we're going to remake this property and they're looking for people to atta- uh, you know to direct the property or like you know to take control of it like sure. the, the creative aspect of it and it's like i can see Somebody like Peter Jackson sitting there and kind of salivating about uh, at the idea of being able to redo King Kong right. with like, you know, especially like, you know, with how much the technology is advanced and everything and like trying to do something and like, how do we do it in 2000 X sure. compared to now? And it's like, but we don't because we don't want to make it the same exact thing. But we want to try to stay true to the original in certain aspects. It's, it's a lot of hard decisions that you have to make. I bet it is. And and then you have a lot of these people that, like, even on this list, a couple of them that are really up and coming and are trying to take on a franchise that might be able to, they get a couple movies out of it or they become a producer after the first one. Sure. And they start taking risk and then you have to sit down with that same process. How do we do it so it's not the exact same thing, which I will be talking about that idea here soon, but it's like... So it's not exactly shot for shot the same thing. And then there's, you know, but how much do you move away from the source material, the the original? Because you don't want to make it exactly the same because then it's boring. It's just the same thing all over again. And then if you move too far away, you could just fuck up the movie. My counter argument to that is you have Mighty Joe Young in the 70s, which is, you know, a ripoff of King Kong. But it's a different movie. You know what I mean? So... When I watch Mighty Joe Young, I don't get angry because... And not as well known as King Kong either. Right. Like my, my my thing's always been, I've been saying this for 20 years, is uh, I think it was Bats. I think I've talked about this on the podcast. Like, my example's always been that fucking awful movie, Bats. Like, is like, if you have something that might be a kernel of a good idea, and it just, execution-wise, it failed. Like, why don't people go back and yeah, remake those things point. rather than movies that were successful critically you know or you know financially or something like right, that or why go back classics and... or anything. sure right I, I, I and i don't get it but i mean it's it's a, it's it's branding it makes money like people already know it to some degree because of the name the and... other thing too that always bothers me is like movies that fail to understand what the attraction in the original film is that just don't understand what made the original film a classic and then they go to remake it there's another good example. I don't know if... Yeah, I did put it on my initial list. Is the Diabolique remake from... Whatever that was. Like, 97 or whatever. Yeah, Chaz Palminteri. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, the original is such a taut, well-done thriller. And it's just so... It just... it It's, it's boring, and it's sloppy, and... 
What's that Kiefer Sutherland, um, Sandra Bullock movie from the early 90s, early mid 90s? I felt the same way about that. Is Vanishing? Well, you know, the thing about that is it was remade by the same director. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, he just he remade his own movie in that's America. That's funny. Because I, think, cause I saw the American one initially, right. and then later on I saw like the former one. I was like, oh my God, the, this this is so much better than right. this well, Kiefer Sutherland remake. I, so I, I think that's the... Um, what I call like the Guillermo del Toro problem, hmm. which is when you're directing a movie in something that's not your original language. I think that there's some disconnect between like dialogue and stuff where like you might yeah. think that something's coming off as effective and maybe the translation isn't quite sure. as good. That makes sense. Cause the original vanishing is an amazing movie. I, yeah. The key for Sutherland one it's it's bad, but it's not like it's not it, abysmal. It's just it's a five out of ten movie. Like, right? I mean, yeah. I it's, mean, it's it's whatever. It's right. something that you can kill like ninety minutes with. But that the original is so right. tense yeah. and uncomfortable the entire time yeah, you're watching. Agreed. Yeah. And I feel that way. Like I didn't put um insomnia on the list, even though I don't think that um Nolan's insomnia remake is a good movie. Mm-hmm. I still can kind of appreciate that you know you have these big actors that you're bringing into it and you're trying to like tell the story you're telling the same story just with a different setting and different cast sure and trying to tell it for an american audience and again like i think that it's condescending to think that like an american audience can't appreciate a foreign language film Mm -hmm. even if maybe it might be a little true but like just make something else you know right but insomnia is not a complete failure it's just unnecessary you know what i mean right like everything on this list, in my opinion, is an ab- like an abject failure in terms of being like a remake of the source material. Although I will say, a couple of these movies I still thought were fun oh, to yeah, watch, yeah. even though they're so. I mean, they're they're fun because they're so bad. Is is the idea? It's there's like... <clears throat> there's two of them that I genuinely enjoyed watching again from like the perspective that you have any like watching any B movie. Right. Where it's like, this is so bad that it makes me laugh. With, like, the dialogue choices or the acting choices. Yeah, yeah. There's... There's one movie that was just, like, utterly perplexing, and then it just made me angry. One movie which I was just angry the whole time. And then one movie where I wanted to take a nap, like, five times during it, because it was the most boring... And we'll, when, when we get to that movie, I have some other commentary just maybe about the source material because it's an adaptation. Sure. Um, and it's an, it's an adaptation of a novel. Yeah, I figured the nap when I figured out which one that is. I don't um, think about the other ones. Like, and and I, I, I think I've come to like a realization about my entire life while I was watching that movie. <laughs> okay. Um, so right. that's number three. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear the, right. the, right, the epiphany. But yeah, <laughs> so I, I it was enjoyable. Like, Coming up with these lists is always difficult because I'm trying to parse down, like, movies that I love. And I actually really enjoy doing, like, positive lists all the time because I'd rather talk about something that I really enjoy rather than something I hate. But, like, it was really morbidly enjoyable to, like, watch these movies again and just not have to find something good about it. Just being (laughs) like, yeah, this is garbage. (laughs) Right, yeah. So I was kind of excited. Yeah, I mean, it took us 40 episodes to get to this point. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Um... Uh, but no, I, I, I actually enjoyed, like you said, in a perverse way, I kind of enjoyed watching some of these, yeah. um, but yeah, some of them was just kind of tedious. <clears throat> All right. You want to go ahead and get started then? Yes, sir. Okay. So number five on your list is 2005's House of Wax. Oh, I'm going to butcher this name. 
Um, it's directed by Jim Coulette Sarah. Um, it's starring Alicia Cuthbert, Chad Michael Murray, Brian Van Holt, Jared Paladecki. Has a 25% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 42% from audiences. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about the story of this movie and um, what you dislike about it so much? So, it's a remake of the 1950s, um, I don't know if I would call it like a cult classic, but like an early 3D horror film that um, has Vincent Price and it's like a classic, not, not classic, but it's like that classic style of like the like early 50s horror um and it's it, it, it's a fine movie like it's disposable but like there's nothing wrong with it so this is a modern retelling or modern update that doesn't necessarily follow any of the major plot points with the exception of like there's some wax shit in it right um there's a house of wax the original movie is about a guy who's betrayed by his partner and then turns murderous and then like gains fortune from like his realistic wax sculptures. And then it turns out that like, it's because he's encasing living people in wax and that's why they look so real. And right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just your standard, like dark shadows, you know, creepy villain, like horror movie from that time. This movie is this ridiculous, like rednecks in the woods, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre come wrong turn nonsense where there's this group of incredibly unlikable college students who are going to the quote unquote big game that they haven't bought tickets to and that is hours away from their house. And they decide that instead of just going there, they're going to take this unmarked back road shortcut that's not even on their GPS that this, the guy that's driving the one vehicle knows about. There's some weird, like pseudo backstory between the Chad, Michael Murray character was like a prominent football player that got kicked off the team for being angry or violent or something. And he's with his like, well, he stole a car. Oh, is that what it is? See, yeah. I don't even remember. Well, he was violent and angry, apparently, but he also stole a car and got arrested for it, and that's what got him kicked, got him off, kicked the off the team. Yeah. And he's with his, like, pre-Me Too moment, like, possible, creepy, voyeuristic friend who's filming everything. and Who we later found out actually stole the car, because Chad Michael Murray's character is actually a really good guy. Right, well, <laughs> he's the hero. Right, sure. And then the girl who's with, like, the nice guy who has a car, like, a fancy car, and that's Jared Padalinicki, like, pre-Supernatural, I think. I don't know how long Supernatural's been on. <laughs> For, um, forever. Forever, right. <laughs> Post-Gilmore post Girls, Jared Padalinicki. Yes, yeah. Um, and then this, like, incredibly unlikable couple, played by Paris Hilton and some dude, who are just, like, make the worst decisions, and Paris Hilton mm -hmm. might be pregnant, and he, like, he doesn't care, he just wants to fuck. <laughs> right. I don't know. Anyway, so they get lost in the woods, and then this mysterious truck shows up, then they find this, like, animal, like, roadkill burial ground, which is weird and unnecessary, and then some of them leave to go to the game while, like, the one car is broken down. 
and just leave their friends to wander into like this well, town. Well, to... it's because Jerry Palinaki and Elijah Cuthbert are going to go get the, the 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 fan belt, the fan belt for the car, right? And don't want everybody else that really cared about the game to miss the game, so they go ahead. It's, it's incredibly stupid. It's very convoluted. Yeah. So anyway, so they wander into this town. That's like its central feature is this house of wax. It's obviously like an abandoned town, although they can't realize that until it's too late. Right. Turns out that there's two brothers that were conjoined Siamese twins, that their mother was like, or their father, somebody was like an expert, like wax sculptor. And after they died, the town died off and they went crazy. And they've been making wax sculptures out of like people that they've captured off the road. Yeah. And, Ultimately, Chad Michael Murray has to save the day, and there's a bunch of shit with, like, everything in the town is actually made of wax, which makes no sense, because what happens in the summer? Like, it's just, I don't know, it's it's completely nonsensical. There's a couple scenes that, there's a scene with Paris Hilton being stalked, and they, they use the cutting the Achilles tendon twice, actually, in the movie. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene where Paris Hilton is stalked that's moderately effective, um, and honestly, in my opinion, like for being, cause this is coming off of the Paris Hilton, like scandal with her sex tape. Sure. So that's the only reason why she's in this movie. Right. She comes off as maybe the most sympathetic character in the movie in some ways, because she's just in love with this dude that may have gotten her pregnant and right. She doesn't really do anything. Like you would think that she, like they would be like the, like, by, like, the common horror movie trope of, like, the oversexed couple that gets what they deserve. But, I mean, they're, you know, in a monogamous relationship and she just wants to have yeah. a baby with them and right. then she gets murdered. And him, like, the killer throwing the in, cut-off pipe, like, through his her face. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's not good. But no. for, like, a few moments, you're like, oh, this is a little tense. Right. It's really funny in a way that it doesn't mean to be. Because nothing, like, nothing, no decision in the movie makes any sense whatsoever. And not even in, like, the Friday the 13th perspective where, like, they're over-sex teens or they're just trying to, like, run off and drink. Like, these are supposedly college students and adults that are just the stupidest people. Like, Jared Padalecki goes into piss in the house and then wanders around the house for, like, ten minutes like rummaging through this man's like bedroom and like opening like like files and it's 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 so like he really like i know that you're supposed to think of him as like the good guy and you're supposed to be shocked like when he's the one that dies like oh my god i thought he was gonna be right like they're that's the twist is it all the the bad boy is actually like the hero and the good guy is gonna die you know and but it's like he deserves it like i'm sitting there watching i'm like good and yeah. I remember thinking that when I first saw it, but I really wanted Jared Padalecki to die. Yeah. Like, this entire movie. He's just... He's, he's just so bland. Like, the whole character is so bland in the first place. And then he just does dumb shit. Right. Like, like that. And, yeah, like, he... there There's no there's no horror to him dying. You kind of just feel relieved that you don't have to watch his character anymore. The, so, that's... that's So, the special effects, like, they're... It's a lot of practical special effects in the movie. Sure. And they're actually really well done. And there's... So, Paddle and Nikki gets, like, coated in wax. There's this mm-hmm. ridiculous machine made of, like, a thousand wax jets that, like, coat him. Right. And he's, like... 
like a stalactite, but then all of a sudden it's just him with like wax skin. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the the the, the cameraman. It's the it's the voyeuristic the goofy friend. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tries to free him. And for some reason, Jamie like, Kennedy would have been playing that role for right. like five years earlier. That's yeah. true, mm-hmm. right? It basically is him and can't hardly wait. Yeah. Um. So peels his skin off, and it's actually like, like really like an effective scene in terms of like the musculature of the face and like seeing the teeth. Yeah, yeah. It's gross. Yeah, and it, it's is. A, it, it, it does good. what it's supposed yeah. to do. And there's stuff like that. Him chop like cutting off the yeah. one of the bad guys cutting Elijah, Elijah the Kirk's finger off. Finger yeah. off mm-hmm. That was really when good. she's trying to signal like her ripping the glue off of her mouth when she's trying to scream because yeah, he's glued yeah. her mouth shut. Sure. All of these practical effects, and this is why this is number five on this list. They're really well done. Yeah, but the story, the characters, yeah, the end like result of like this like having this fight in this wax room where everything's <laughs> melting. Yeah. Into, like, the fucking mouth of hell somehow. Right. Like that It makes no up. sense. None. It's just, like... It, yeah. And then, like, the twist is that the guy that was running the fucking um, uh, roadkill dump is mysteriously the third brother that yeah. nobody ever knew about right, until... Right, yeah. In case this blew up, they had a sequel already, right, you right. know? House of Wax <clears throat> 2, like, roadkill cemetery or something. Right, I don't know. yeah. Although um, I'll say, I, I really, I mean, the other only other thing I'll say about this movie that I thought was, that I liked, is the guy that plays that third brother, you find out, the roadkill guy, um, who played Dewey Crow on Justified. Um, I really liked him in that role, like, a lot, and I actually thought the drive, and a lot of it had to do with him more than Paolo Neckley and Cuthbert. Right. I thought the drive was tense just because they're sitting there offending this guy, and horribly offending right this this guy that's doing nothing but giving going out of his way and trying to help these two strangers and aside from being like your like archetypical backwoods redneck yeah isn't a bad person but you're supposed to think he's probably a bad person because that's like building that false tension early sure which and he yeah he's fine right because then you meet the 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 real villain besides the brother with the wax face like um brian basically like johnny knoxville like that's what he's yeah yeah but this but when you meet brian van holt he's a nice he's comes off immediately as like this nice guy and everything trying to be helpful yeah and then it's like you know that's the whole thing is he's really like the villain so anyway but I, i really like brian van holt too overall yeah i mean like I, i've always been a big fan of that guy um for for even the very small roles he's been in like john cincinnati like he played like right. the, the boy's father and episode homicide here and just like little bit parts that he's done in shows and i i thought he was good in this overall considering that his character was garbage that and none of it made any sense in terms of the backstory with him and his brother and like i thought he did a reasonably effective job so Part of the problem, too, I mean, the the script, the dialogue, the acting, the basic premise, those are all big problems. Yeah. But one of the biggest problems that keeps it from being, like, an effective, just, like, fun B-movie is the way it's filmed. Like, it's way too bright, it's way too cartoony and garish, but not in, like, a creepy... Like, there's a... a Do twi- you remember the Twilight Zone remake from the 80s, like, the series... Mm-hmm. That was like the hour long episodes every week. Absolutely, there's, yeah. There's an episode that's similar to this where like it's a town where everybody's like, no, you know what it is? It's the um, 
the movie where like it's like a cartoony the the kid creates this cartoony world mm-hmm. because he's like psychic oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and it's That's like the landis one right right it's yeah. filmed in such a way where like <clears throat> it's it's off kilter so it makes you uncomfortable yes like watching it because it's not real and this one it doesn't feel like that it just feels really bland and it's way too bright and I know that it's because they want to show off, like, their sets and their mm-hmm. practical effects. But, like, if you made this movie darker and you made it more cat and mouse as opposed to just, like, dead, 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 two people are left alive and then they're just alive forever without, right. like, really anything happening yeah. to them. Like, I think it would have been... I still wouldn't have liked it as a remake, but it wouldn't have made this list because it would have, like, I would have seen that as a saving grace. But I still feel like really, I don't know. I feel like it's a terrible remake. I feel like it's just really poorly done overall and just not a good movie. But that being said, there were times where like I kind of enjoyed watching it just because there's some fun to be had in watching it. I, I, yeah, I actually had a lot of fun watching it. I mean, I was also, like, had a few drinks that night um, when I decided to watch it. But um, I, had, I had a lot of fun watching it. It was kind of nostalgic because we, we saw this in the theater, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that, that it was fun watching it the first time, as bad as it was. Um, so, yeah, I get why this is. It's really bad. Like, I don't even know if we're doing enough credit to, like, talk about how bad this movie really is. Like, basically, this is take... This is taking on all the sins of movies, like you mentioned, like Wrong Turn. Like, House of Wax is just basically representing, like, a whole subculture of movies in the early to mid-2000s that were CW actors right? that, you know, just had bad scripts, generally bad acting, you know, no characterization. And you know Greenlit because of stuff like scream and i know what you did last summer and sure even though those movies were five or six years seven years before this like just trying to have like somehow gain that teen horror audience i guess enough to make back the budget and maybe like do a direct-to-video sequel but right a terrible movie okay so I had to do something a little different like in researching these as i actually had to look for positive reviews <laughs> So, um, Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle says, Most horror movies present an eerie atmosphere and an arresting mystery, followed by a lot of boring mayhem at the end, with a monster dying and miraculous reviving until finally, finally 90 minutes are reached and the movie can end. But not House of Wax. He says, The debut feature from the director does two things rare in the horror genre. It takes us time and actually gets better as it goes along. Yes, it's sensationalist, Silly entertainment meant for a young audience, and everyone knows uh, that going in. And yes, its dialogue is stilted, its characters undelineated, and their motivations ridiculous. After a month, no one will talk about this movie ever again. Not true, Mick. Um, Still, with a picture like this, there's really only one question. Is it any fun? Yes, lots, definitely. Um, So really, the thing to focus on there probably is more the fact that he claims that it's doing something other horror movies didn't do around this time is that it takes its time and gets better as it goes along. I don't know that I would say it takes its time. It doesn't really have anywhere to go. I mean, what I think I texted you when I was watching this is like, it was like the 43 minutes, 43 minutes and nothing has happened. That's that's accurate. (laughs) Yeah. 
but it's not really building any it's tension. Ca- it's, it's trying to character build, right. but there's no character. <laughs> yeah, they're just all flat. It's like um, their 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 idea of characterization in this movie is in early on is Chad Michael Murray sitting by himself away from everybody at the campsite smoking, smoking a cigarette, a cigarette right. because he's a bad boy, right? And like, then and then when a truck pulls up and just sits there like breaking its um uh, headlight with a beer bottle, right? Yeah. That's well, it. I mean, the whole thing is supposed to show that he's low class. That, that's but, that's that's my reading of but it. But he's still got a good arm. Sure, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a star quarterback. Sure. Um, but it's like I, I'm I read the cigarette and throwing the beer bottle is like just low to no classes. That's what it's trying to get across. That's their characterization. Right. He, he well he's he's a hothead. Right. They don't want you to think he's low class. They yeah. want you to think that he's like sticking up for his friends and he's just got a temper. So that way when he's like fighting I don't know, getting you know who the you know who the killer reminded me of was um Tommy Wiesau? Yeah. Like with his long hair and his like Just like a face. wax face, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That's that's no. what I thought of like the whole time watching it. Like I don't know. It's it's just a bad movie. Like it's not <laughs> it's not a good movie. Okay. Um so let's go ahead and move on to number four then. Number four is Gus Van Sant's nineteen ninety eight uh remake of Psycho. It's a shot for shot remake. It stars Anne Hache, Vince Vaughn as um uh, uh, why am I forgetting the name? Uh, uh Norman Bates. Norman Bates, Bates right, yeah. And um, um, and then William H Macy, Julianne Moore, Viggo Mortensen has a thirty-eight percent from critics and twenty-eight percent from audiences. Marion Crane. Marion Crane. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, I, I think I don't think you need to really go through right, much of Psycho. It's, it's Psycho. Yeah. Um, woman it's... woman steals money from her employer, goes to a motel, like, you know, you think it's a noir film, she gets stabbed, it turns into the story about a serial killer named Norman Bates. Like, right. that's... Who's possibly killed, like, who's killed several other people, at least two other people aside from her, and who ends sure. up killing her and William H. Macy, and then attempting to kill Viggo Mortensen and um, Julianne Moore. So... This is like the definition of a wholly unnecessary remake of a movie that did everything it needed to do right the first time by arguably like one of the greatest directors of ever, maybe ever, but definitely of like the 20th century. Yeah. Um, completely just it's. It's almost a shot. Dream imagery or something. At some point, like, there's, like, a deer in the road or something, yeah, right? Like, I can't yes, remember exactly. Yeah, it's weird. I was, like, so numb to the whole experience by the time <laughs> it happened. Um, Really odd acting choices that completely undercut, like, the characters. Like, Anne Hesch... And Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates is the absolute worst because it takes this the effectiveness of 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 Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates in the original is that he's this reedy, nervous, thin, bird like man that obviously has no social skills and is in a taxidermy. So he automatically comes off as like 
odd and uncomfortable and it it builds him as like a like a psychopath like it, it's an effective build to the reveal that he's been dressing up as his mother and it also lends credence early in the movie like the first time you watch it to the idea that his mother is the one that's killing these people and that he's able to be bullied and manipulated by her because he's this weird nervous little guy Vince Vaughn looks like a fucking linebacker. Like, he's this towering, well-built, handsome man that just, like, affects this weird laugh to try and make you think that he's crazy, but just comes off as, like, maybe sort of mild-mannered. And their interactions, it's just, it's terrible. Like, this scene with, the scene with them in the office talking to each other is like neither of them had ever seen Psycho and had no idea what you're supposed to convey. And it's like, it's almost like they'd never seen the movie and they were only getting script pages like one scene at a time. So they didn't know what was coming. So Vince Vaughn's like not doing anything that makes him seem menacing in it. The only character, so there's two performances in it that I feel are fine. And it's William H. Macy um basically just does Arbogast exactly the same way like he's just playing the same character and I kind of like Viggo Mortensen in it because he is just kind of this dumb like guy that is sort of like even though his girlfriend is missing is kind of like hitting on her sister and (laughs) just He's just this weird, like, stud gigolo. He's almost like, he's almost like Joe Buck from yeah, that's a good from Midnight yeah. Cowboy. Just he runs a hardware store instead of like going to New York to try and sleep with rich women. Right, and it's just embarrassing. It's like I hate Julianne Moore's performance. I think she's shrill and off putting. Oh well, she does the complete opposite of the original. I can't remember. Right, the they all do, was, except yeah. for. William H. Macy. Yeah. And again, like, in terms of remakes, like, number one, there's four or five sequels to Psycho, or three or four sequels to Psycho, three of which I think Anthony Perkins is directly involved in playing Norman Bates, Mm -hmm. that are all in some way, shape, or form like a casual retelling of the original movie, even though they're sequels. Like, it's basically like you're just watching it happen again and again. Right. Except it becomes more ridiculous every time because, like, they keep letting him out of jail, even though he's murdering all these people. But it's him, you know, and it's the guy that played the original character. He produced, I think, all of them, and right. he's the main actor in it. So it's just taking a classic film and making an unnecessary franchise, which is like a whole nother list. But taking the original film, having what's his name? Um, Santori or whatever, or the guy that wrote it, Joe Santori or something. Like, using his script and all the original oh, dialogue. Stefano. Stefano, sorry. Yeah. Using his script, all the original dialogue, pulling, like, actual shots and angles and setups from Hitchcock. Like, you, you read interviews with Van Zant because I usually try not to look at any kind of criticism mm. or, like, backstory to these movies so we can, like, talk about them more naturally. Right. But, like, I had to read about it because it's been a long time since it came out and I had forgotten. And Van Zant tells you that it's, like, basically, like, it was an experiment that was a failure. 
And I, I can see, like, him, like, loving this movie and trying to, like, see if he could make it better. But, like, it doesn't work and it's just dumb. And I remember, like, when it came out, I was, I was a lot more pretentious when I was a kid. And I was so angry at this movie's, like, existence. And then when I went to see it, like, having Psycho fresh in my, like, the original Psycho fresh in my mind, like, it was just, it's just bad, man. And the problem is, is that, like, you can still love the original Psycho. Number one, because it's really effective in black and white. Like, it's a much more effective movie, I think, in black and white. And you can be engaged in the performances and it's just for being the same movie it's such a much better experience in the original than this completely unnecessary tone deaf like remake agreed and i think that the content of the movie like by the time they remake it's not nearly as shocking you as it was loves this fucking movie tarantino right tarantino thinks it's better than the original that's why that man's an idiot that's why none of his movies in the past decade have been worth anything because he's just an a-hole that i mean i I, like i don't like that that's just like saying something provocative that's like the kid in high school that came in with like like the the swastikas on his book bag or like i mean did you have people like that in school like i don't remember anybody with swastikas we we had somebody that came in with a um chinese red army coat with like the Mao Zedong patches on it and stuff. Yeah, I think they trying. use. I think Edge Lord is. I think the term they use like now, like a lot of times. Yeah, for those kind of things, like people that are doing it just to be provocative. Yeah, but just I don't know. <clears throat> I'm curious about the positive because I want to. Oh uh, well, Janet Maslin, you've already covered like one piece here. Janet Maslin actually thinks that the performances are pretty good um, and refreshing in their like unique takes on the roles. Um, she specifically points out Julianne Moore and Anne Heche, um, uh, especially Anne Heche. She seems to like in the lead role a lot. Um, Here's the other thing, too. What what year is Psycho? 67, 68, something like that? Earlier than that, I believe. So, I think it's 1960. In the 50s and 60s, you could have a scene in a movie where there's someone driving a car in the rain. And they're blinking to show that they're tired and, like, there's still, like, an element of, like, the theatrical in, like, the 50s and 60s, especially in, like, black and white movies, of people, like, over-emoting to show physical characteristics or to show, like, internal, like, dialogue or whatever. Because, you know, when, um, who plays Mary? Oh, fuck, I can't remember her name. From the original Psycho? Janet Lee. So when Janet Lee is like driving in the car, you're fine with it. But like Anne Heche sitting there blinking her eyes and looking in the rear view. And I don't know. It's just, it's so dopey and off putting for something like filmed in the night. It's just, it's dumb. Like it's not a refreshing take. It's just a stupid take. She won a Golden Raspberry Award. I'm not not that the Golden Raspberries are things that like, but whatever. Like there was enough people that were like, "Oh my God, this is so bad." Right. And I think she's won one twice actually, because I think she won one for um, Castaway. Is that what that movie's called or no? Um, uh, Castaway is the uh, Tom Hanks movie. No, the other one. It's got the one by Guy Ritchie. It's got Madonna in it too. I think. Uh, Swept Away. I don't know. Anyway, she. I don't bad. know that movie. She's a bad actress. 
Why was Anne Hage popular? Do you remember what she did that like dated Ellen DeGeneres? But it was before that that she had done something. She in the early nineties that made her like like was something. it just was it just being being like out and gay? Really? I yeah. I, I the only thing I know her from is being Six Days Seven Nights. That's a movie she's terrible in. Okay. Um, so she's in Donnie Brasco and she's fine in Donnie Brasco. Okay. Um, I don't really remember her being the, uh, I said fine in, in Donnie Brasco, honestly, like she doesn't stick out to me whatsoever. Uh, yeah, she had a bunch of bad movies. Anyway. Yeah. I don't remember her. I, the first time I ever heard of her was being dating Ellen. And then she gets this role, I remember, and a couple more, and and then she goes crazy, right? And then she writes a book, and then that's the last I think I ever really heard. I think I've seen her in a role here or there, like, but that's about it. So anyway, if you ever like, so so there's one more here, okay? And this is going to this might upset you. I don't know. Um, is it Owen Gleiberman or something? It is Owen Gleiberman. Oh, it's exa- It's writing for Entertainment Weekly. And it's one of the more nonsensical things I think I've tried to read before. Like, I still don't know. I just reread it here a few minutes ago, and I still don't know if I get it. He says, The Psycho is one of my favorite films, having seen it close to 20 times. But when I heard about Van Sant's shot-for-shot remake, it sounded like an intriguing, even inspired idea. Those who dismiss the notion of doing a big shiny color update as a sacrilege or said that it was simply unnecessary seem to be missing the point. Unique among studio system films, Psycho is a movie that invites you to watch yourself watching it. In killing off its lead character of just 40 minutes, and along with her, our entire sense that a Hollywood movie would always unfold in an ordered dramatic universe, Hitchcock teased the audience's elemental desire for identification, and in the process undercut the notion of identity itself. It was his ultimate ghoulish prank to make a movie about a monster, Mrs. Bates, who literally doesn't exist. The monster is in Norman's head, and as we watch, in our heads as well. To see Psycho is to experience a thriller as a test for the limits of rationality. That's why a remake seems so seductive. What could be more juicier or more appropriate than this post-postmodern psycho, a movie that asks us to sit back and meditate on our self-conscious response to it? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> like, Psycho is a really well-done movie, but we live in an era where we've had... Number one, we live in, we grew up in the era of serial killers and criminal profiling. Right. Where you had real life psychopaths that you could watch the news and see these horrible, you know, like real details about them. And the complexity of why they did what they did was far more horrifying than Norman Bates being upset that his mother was sleeping with another dude. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, maybe in its day, like, that psychology is enough to be like, oh, well. But when you watch that, you know, when when Robert Forrester comes out and starts talking about why Norman Bates is how he is, it doesn't even carry any of the same weight. That's one of the worst things in this movie to me. 
is it's like bad. him him deciding to keep that like four minute explanation of his actions. Too. Huh? He cuts it down too. It's, it's he, he does cut it down. Um, but it, I thought the like when you're remaking it to keep that in 1998, it's like you had people like us, like at our age, who could have given you that diagnosis having never seen it before, before he comes on the screen and gives that to you. Right. Because it's so prevalent, even at that time, to understand, like, what's making that guy tick. Yeah, that's, like... That's what I'm saying. In 98, the movie doesn't make any sense to remake it, even. It's funny, because I used to like Owen Lieberman a lot as a reviewer when I was young. When I used to read Entertainment Weekly. But I find mm-hmm. that, like, every time the, you bring him up, that's why I guessed him. Because I was trying to think, like... Dave Kerr is going to shit on this movie just because Dave Kerr is Dave Kerr. I'm pretty but sure that's right, yeah. Gleiberman's like the one guy I would think, like, man, like, if somebody's going to have the absolute wrong opinion, like, it's going to be that dude. Gleiberman's a dude, like, now we have a term for it, I think, that we didn't in the 90s. Gleiberman's a guy that, like, likes to have hot takes. Right. That yeah. is, I mean, it's, 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 it's a hot take. It's just yeah. also, like, a hot dump. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that his enjoyment of the movie is coming, I, I think the way I'm reading this is he's enjoying the process of watching and dissecting this remake as opposed to the original. Right. And it's like, but is he really enjoying this movie? I, just, I, he just, he is enamored with the idea that someone would be ballsy enough to do it and sure. that a studio would be ballsy enough to release it. Sure. He's not like, it's it's not that it's good. Right. All his yeah. praise in that quote is about the original. <laughs> the original right, and you know yeah. what? I agree with him. Sure. Like, sure. that's right. That's right. why the original is a good movie. But yeah. man, go watch it. Right. Like, you'll enjoy it more. There's... Most times, even with bad movies, I will tell you that there's some reason... Like, if you enjoy this, then you should see it. I don't think there's any reason anybody should ever watch this movie. Right. Yeah, I, feel, I mean, it's... I, it's it's unnecessary. It's com- like uh, it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, it's just really bad. I yeah. like you. You had you had texted me that I don't think you said you liked it, but that you saw no. it interesting. I, I thought I thought the same thing over in Gleiberman. Kind of, I think is getting at, but to I wouldn't. That's a positive review overall. Still, right? Like I wouldn't give it a positive review, but I did think it was having watched Psycho again, or at least part of it, like five years ago, and then watching this for the first time since like '99 when it came out on video or something. Um, this remake, I thought it was interesting again after 20 years to like watch this with maybe a better understanding of film yeah. and like comparing it to the original Psycho and seeing like what he's choosing to do because so much of it is shot for shot and then there's like these weird little things that he does that he changes and I don't understand why those are the things that he's changing. Right. Like, because, like, what, he adds the masturbating scene, like, into it. Completely unnecessary. What's right is unnecessary. It's like, yeah, and and there's And that brief dream sequence. Yeah. Is that, that's... And the shower scene shot slightly differently. Oh, so I forgot about that because I was talking to you about that. Right. Like, it is pornographic. Yeah. And not in, like, a titillating way. Right. In, like, a completely abjectly disgusting like the way that she falls with her legs splayed and like mm-hmm. her ass in the air right is so fucking unnecessary and crass right and like the fact that like you can see her like instead of being like artfully shot where like yeah. you know her nipples are covered by her arms and mm-hmm. it's like the quick cuts to right, emulate yeah. the stabs 
It's mm-hmm. like almost these like fetishistic shots of like her breasts and yeah. not in the normal horror way right, of doing yeah. it in like this just weird, creepy man. It is like, I, like it made me uncomfortable, but it made me uncomfortable to think that someone would allow that to happen. Right. Not like uncomfortable in the way that like, Oh, this, like I'm invested in the plot. It's just like, ugh. Like, I can't believe you people were a part of this. Well, it's funny. I, I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast before or not. So if I am, I'll try to keep it short. But um, I know you and I have talked about this, is that my friend that I teach with showed this back in, like, the 2000s, like the original Psycho, back in the 2000s in his film class. And he was having people getting upset leaving the class like not not wanting to deal with the shower like they found it really disturbing the shower sequence and when he kind of prodded like trying to get like why are they having that response the response was that um that the way it was filmed that you just saw the silhouette and like her face like you know shoulders up you know, and the blood in the drain. So what it was happening is they were actually, and it kind of goes along with a little bit with what we're talking about, uh, is that they were ima- they had to imagine what was happening right. with the stabbing, and their imagination was worse right. than what was actually probably happening. It- so to in 1998, like film it in a way where it's like you're showing more of a graphic nature, right, is totally missing the point again of the idea that so much has happened between 1960 and 1998 that the imagination is going to be worse than what you actually show on film. Right. I mean, it's, it's the beauty of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the sense that like so many people will tell you it's one of the bloodiest movies they've ever seen. When in reality, there's no, aside from Franklin, there's no on screen kill where you actually see, the chainsaw going into somebody or somebody like being killed. It's all cuts and implications. And that, I mean, that's it's, it's Hitchcock. Hitchcock did right. the same thing. Sure. And like for, yeah, it's just, I don't understand like for Van Zant to, and I, I think Gus Van Zant has made some really good movies. Like yeah, I, I think you and I got into a discussion or argument about this, like outside the podcast is that I don't see it, but. I look. He's not one of my favorite directors, sure. but he's made movies that I've enjoyed. Yeah, and to have someone that I think probably has talent, like yeah. have that little understanding of what made the it's just it makes no sense. It's it's terrible, terrible movie. Yeah. It's only not number one on this list because like I don't know. It's whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's go ahead and move on to number three. Okay. So number three on your list is uh, the 2002 Brett Ratner adaptation slash remake Red Dragon. It stars Anthony Hopkins, uh, Ed Norton, Ralph Fiennes, uh, Harvey Keitel. It has a 68% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 74% from audiences. I'm going to go ahead and explain like the impetus of this movie and... What you dislike about it so much. So, Red Dragon is the second adaptation um, preceded by, like, mid-1980s Manhunter. uh, Michael Mann, or, um, yeah. Yeah. Michael Mann movie. um, Of Thomas Harris's Red Dragon novel. Um, It's the prequel, or the sequel. 
prequel to Silence of the Lambs in terms of like Harris's uh, quartet, I think, of books that are the Lecter novels. Um, it's basically like the Will Graham, what would eventually be adapted in the Hannibal TV series, uh, the Will Graham um, catching Lecter. And then his next serial killer case, which is uh, Thomas Dolleride, who's called the Tooth Fairy, played by Ray Fiennes. Um, so it's a it's a procedural serial killer movie. Um, the novel focused, you know, written in like the mid '80s, focused on like what we just talked about in Psycho, like the growing, uh, like cultural and societal awareness of FBI profiling as a way to capture, you know, these criminals that weren't killing for apparent motive or, um, and generally follows, you know, Will Graham, like tracking this guy, profiling this guy, going back and talking to Lecter as like his sort of psychological mentor, you know, who tried to murder him, who's a cannibal, you know, but it is, one of the most boring movies I've sat through in a long time. Um, generally a pretty, pretty close remake plot. I mean, it's, it's pretty religious to the book in the same way that, that Manhunter was, but without any of like the charm of Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a movie that I, I said made me reevaluate my whole life. So what I realized watching this movie is that, I grew up reading Thomas Harris. Like, right. I read Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs when I was a preteen, probably. Like, maybe 12 or so. Right. Um, loved Silence of the Lambs as a movie um, when I was a kid. Well, like a teenager. Um, you know, read Hannibal and whatever that terrible last Hannibal book was. Or maybe it's all Hannibal. The one that has... Um, the one that the Hannibal movie was based on. Yeah. Um... I guess no, there's Hannibal Rising, which I read too, right? Isn't that a book? That is, yeah. That's, like, was made as well. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, with him, like, prior to meeting Will Graham, like, sure. his youth or whatever. Right. Thomas Harris, I don't think, is a good writer. I don't think his plots are very interesting. I think it's very ham-fisted psychology in terms of, like, the motivations sure. and childhoods of these characters. Um uh, what's his name? Tom Tom Noonan, right? Plays Dollaride in Manhunter, I yeah. think. Much more believable as being a guy who's ashamed of his his face and his his you know like wants to change who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Fiennes has like a tiny little hair lip and is still like a very well built, handsome man. So it's kind of unbelievable him as the killer. And he doesn't do a very good job. Like, he's just sort of like a nothing in it. You know, like, you look at... It's one of the best parts about Silence of the Lambs is um, Buffalo Bill. Um, That character is by far, like, I think the scariest part or the best part of that movie. Um, Fines is, like, just nothing in it. Like, he's... It's just kind of silly some of the times. Like, you don't really... The fact that he wet his bed and his grandmother was mean to him is, like, yeah. the central motivation. And, like, again, I think that it's just, like, I don't think Harris is a very good writer. 
And I think I realized that reading the last couple books, like I don't like Hannibal or Hannibal Rising. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read Silence of the Lambs or Red Dragon since I was a kid, so maybe yeah. they're bad too. Um, but man, like, I, I looked up the running times because I remember, like, I was watching Red Dragon. I watched it today. Actually, it was the last one I had to watch again. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, this movie feels like it's like three hours long. Like, it is never ending. And so I looked up, it, it, it's it's two hours long. It's 124 minutes. And I was thinking, like, you know, Manhunter is so crisp. It's like 90 minutes long. And Manhunter is exactly the same length. But it doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel as plotting and as boring. Like, Ed Norton as Will Graham is just... He's nothing. There's, like, no emotion. There's no emoting. Harvey Keitel is nothing as Jack Crawford. And part of the problem is you can go and look at other performances of every single character in this movie. Either from Manhunter or Silence of the Lambs or um, the Hannibal TV series. And find a better example of every single character. Yes. And it's like, man, it's just so bad. And it's well, like. Well, you can find almost every single character being done better just in that Brian Fuller television show. Right, 100%. Like, but you, you go back and look at Manhunter. And I also think one of my first, like, I don't know, favorite performances, if you would have asked me at 13 or 14, would have been Hopkins as Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. And he's just bad in this movie. Like, it's it's campy, and it's gaudy, and it's weird, and it's not menacing. Like, he just looks like, I don't know, like a chubby milkman or something? Like, I don't even know how else to say it. Like, right. It's just a weird... Yeah. And I realized, like, because I watched Silence of the Lambs four or five years ago and did not enjoy it. And I think that's the problem. I think the problem is that other people have done either these exact characters or the same, like the serial killer, the profile, or whatever, so much better in the interim of what is Silence of the Lambs ninety three, right? I believe so. Something like that. Ninety two or not, maybe ninety one. Yeah, that might be right. Um, in the interim, that like none of it holds up. It's just, it's it's the argument against like. The same argument as Psycho. Like, what was effective in the 1960s is not effective in the 1990s. And it's just... One of my favorite scenes in Manhunter is Will Graham going to the house and figuring out what happened and then going back to the house and figuring out that he was, like, perched in the tree Mm -hmm. watching them the whole time. Sure. It's really well done. William Peterson does a really good job making Will Graham... A human, living, sympathetic character, I right. I think. I think it's a much better performance than Edward Norton's performance. Yeah. And, like, in this one, it's just... It's so, like, cheap, early 2000s CSI bullshit, basically. Yes. The way that they film it. Agreed. And, again, like, it's a procedural... But nothing has any tension. Nothing has any... You're never invested in what's happening. The only character... The only performance in it... That's even like remotely interesting... Is Philip Seymour Hoffman... Agreed. Playing um, Lowndes. Yep. And that scene where he's glued to the wheelchair... Mm -hmm. And being tortured... 
is the one time where you're like, oh shit, like yeah. Ray Fine seems crazy. Sure. It, it has like, there's tension to it. You know, even though you know, for, for Freddie Lowndes, that's his name. Freddie Lowndes. Even yeah. though you know what's going to happen, you still kind of like, you're, you're sort of like, man, Freddie, you're a shit for like giving these people like, you know, because he's made his whole living out of like basically effing over Will Graham. Right. But, you know, and then the, I like the scene with him going down the street, like on fire, isn't even as effective as Manhunter. And Manhunter's been yeah. 16 years prior or something right. like that. So, and I understand that what they were trying to do is they were like, Hannibal had just come out around this time, so 2002. So Hannibal had come out like a year before. Mm-hmm. The movie had made money, so they were trying to like continue that right. and like, start like this new arm of the franchise where you know sort of superseding because they didn't you know they wanted to erase like the brian cox animal lector they wanted to erase like all the stuff that the michael mann does to try and make it all fit in with like all those movies that involve hopkins right but it's just so it's just boring yeah and like i don't i don't think the thomas harris stuff is very good either and i you know i was thinking about like the one thing that, like, I, it really made me think of, and this is going to sound, like, really perverse, but, it like, when I read Ma- Red Dragon as a kid, it was something that made me, like, uncomfortable, was he describes, so Dollar Eyed takes um, the chick that uh, Watson plays in it. Yeah, the blind girl. Um, to, like, a zoo where they're, they have a sedated tiger mm-hmm. so she can feel the tiger right, because, sure. you know, she remembers a cougar but doesn't know if she remembers it right. Right. And Harris has like a paragraph where it describes her like cupping the tiger's balls and mm-hmm. like dollar eyed getting like turned on by that. <laughs> right. And Manhunter doesn't have that because it's weird. Right. And it's like, you know, he she goes and like yeah. gets to experience the tiger, but they have a close up of Watson cupping this tiger's balls. Right. And yeah. I'm sitting there watching it thinking like fuck. Yeah. Like, that's what you take out of this scene? Yeah. Like, you idiots? Like, this is what you want in your movie? Right. Yeah. And, I don't know. I, I don't think any of the scenes in the movie... Again, I think that Tom Noonan, is that his name, I think? Yeah, I believe so. So much better performance. Yeah. I think Brian Cox is a better lector, like, in that role than yeah. Hopkins is in that role. Um, I 100%, I think <laughs> William Peterson is so much better. And it's weird because I really like Edward Norton, but I think Edward Norton has like one dude that he plays and it's just a variation on that dude. And it's a guy that's kind of sad and sort of quiet and awkward. And it just, man, you look at like the Hannibal series and I can't remember the name of that actor that plays Graham in the series, like to my detriment, because I really think that's a great performance. You you Dancy. Right. Such like... The the pathos, like, the whole point of that book is that Will Graham is afraid of the fact that he can connect so well with the serial sure. killer. It's his, like, mental anguish at, like, I can't be this person anymore. I can't right. be this guy that goes to these dark places. Right. Ham-fisted in the way Harris writes it. Yeah. But so beautifully portrayed by Dancy in Hannibal. Yeah. Like, the way it's, like... This is my design. Like, all that shit right, yeah. is so fantastic in that show. That's yeah, amazing. And Edward Orton's just like, 
makes a face like he just like like pissed himself a little bit or like <laughs> right like yeah. pooped and he's like yeah. oh they put mirrors in the eyes yeah oh and it's just like yeah it's a re- yeah it's like i think that hannibal television show exposed so much of the actors that have been in these movies and these movies themselves these adaptations right. of that work is that and they didn't even really take that many liberties. No, they, at they're all. They're they're, the they're they're telling the story really well and like very, really very close to what yeah. Harris had written. But like they're just the actors are just making minor tweaks to these characters that make psychological sense, right? All the time, and that TV show to me puts like it was like a veil was lifted when I saw Mickelson in that first season of Hannibal. It's like a veil was lifted for um, because uh, Hopkins' performance because he's, he's cultured and right. he's well spoken, sure, and he's and, in control. And, and Hopkins, and, and, is, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's, Hopkins is very cultured in this portrayal as well. But it's like Hopkins. What I realize is like Hopkins is this kind of like rote Shakespearean, right. Who is delivering this performance of like you know projecting a performance of what a serial killer a cultured serial killer might might act right. like where it's like i believed mads mickelson so is, is hannibal lecter here's the other like, problem with it too hopkins is cultured and controlled for seven minutes of that movie right and as soon as he goes to prison is a caricature right he's a grinning ghoul yeah. Who's doing jump scares at people every chance he gets. Yeah. Mickelson, even after he's caught in the show, right. is always just the calm call that's using psychology right. to fuck with the people around him, sure. but is never losing control at doing it. Right. Until he's put in a position where he can like murder someone and then he like murders the shit out of him. Sure. But up to that point, and even at that point, like he's what is it, um, the Fishburne character. Uh-huh. Like it's still just like very calm and very right. friendly and like uh-huh. I cut off your leg, we're gonna eat it now. You know what right. I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like Hopkins is just a caricature because he can play cultured and sophisticated, but he can't play crazy. Right. Like he for him crazy is like the sideshow carnival, like it's the haunted house ghoul that he becomes. Yeah. And it's it's a really bad movie. It was my I enjoyed this movie less than watching Psycho. Mm. Like, Psycho at least went by quick for me. And this I agree movie, with that. Yeah. Like, honestly felt... Yeah. I was just bored by this movie. I, I really, like, I, I didn't have my watch and I wasn't really looking mm. at my cell phone. And I really thought this movie was three hours long. Yeah. Like, I started at 9 o'clock in the morning and I got up to, like, the... The end where Dollaride is in, like, Graham's house or whatever. And I was like, shit, it's already got to be, like, noon. And then it wasn't. Right. And I was like, oh, right. my God. Where, where did my life go? Yeah. But, I um, I got through it pretty quickly. Like, I think I only took, like, I no, I didn't take any work. I just transferred I it over to my iPad and yeah. finished it off, like, because I was already, like, an hour and 20 in or something. But um, it was um, it was still a chore. It felt very long when I was watching it. Uh, I just really wanted, like, I think you said about taking a nap. Like, I... It was a Saturday afternoon. I think it was a couple Saturdays ago. I was like, I just wanted to take a nap watching it. Yeah, I just went and ate lunch afterwards and then took a nap. It yeah. was really boring. I, there was nothing about this movie. 
it's like if I hate it, it's because, and I really, I don't know if I want to say I hate it. I really dislike it. But the hate only comes from just how bland everything it is. is. It's, yeah. Like, it's one of the blandest serial killer movies I've ever seen. Right. So, Ebert um, actually reviewed this. Um, and fairly positive review overall. He says, to my surprise, um, talking about Ratner, he uh does a sure stylish job appreciating the draw humor of Lecter's predicament, creating a depraved new villain in the Tooth Fairy, and using the quiet, intense skills of Norton to create a character whose old fears feed into his new ones. There is also humor of the uneasy, he can't get away with it with this variety in the character of the nosy scandal sheet reporter, played by Hoffman. The screenplay by Ted Talley, who also wrote Lambs, also supplies a blind girl in peril, and blind girls have worked dependably since the days of silent pictures. A movie like Red Dragon in, is all atmosphere and apprehension. Ratner doesn't give us as much violence or as many sensational shocks as Scott did in Hannibal, but that's a plus. Lecter is a character who commands contemplation on an ease, and too much action just releases the tension. To be sure, Scott was working with a Thomas Harris novel that itself went so high over the top, remember the quadriplegic murdered by an electric eel, that much of it could not be filmed. But this movie, based on Harris's first novel, has studied Silence of the Lambs and knows that the action comes second to general creepiness. There are stabbings, shootings, fires, explosions, tortures, mutilations, and a flaming corpse in a wheelchair, but within reason. The movie has been photographed by Dante Spinotti, who also filmed Michael Mann's more cool stylized version, and here he provides darkness and saturated colors. The Lecter world is one of dampness, lowering clouds, early sunsets, chill in the bones. Lecter himself, when he appears, is like a little fire that we can warm, warm before. He smiles benevolently, knows all, and accepts his nature, offers to help, and more often than not, has another macabre scheme underway. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess all that's true. I just, I think it's really boring. He said, I mean, he says my ultimate criticism. That yeah. Michael Mann made a cool, well done, taught psychological thriller better. He also points out the saturated colors, which he seems to like. Um, but uh, that's, to me, the CSI effect to some degree is saturating. I, um, I don't, I don't think it makes anything feel intimidating. Yeah, like I, I don't think any part of that movie feels like I don't get I don't get the creepiness or the chill from it. Like to me no. it just all seems very bland and pablum and just yeah. unnecessary, like just boring. I agree. I don't I don't get where he's getting creepiness from and and he's I mean he's praising all the actors in it too and I don't get that either. I don't I again I think there's one good performance in yeah. this movie. Right. Especially like the like Watson and Norton have the exchange at the end where he's like next time get a better haircut. And it's like, it's just so, like, weird. It's like, right. you just, both of you just survived, like, attempts on your life. Well, he hadn't yet, but, yeah. you know, she almost died. And, like, they're right. like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, he's dead. We're done. Yeah. And Harvey Keitel, um, I don't want to get him, let him get away here. It's like. Oh, he's bad. Yeah. I mean, because it's just Harvey Keitel. It's just like you take whatever you think of a Harvey Keitel performance. You take all the little quirks, ticks, all those kind of things of like that you've seen over the years. Yeah, you, and it's you, just like you just like the the, the verbal ticks and stuff like that. you just put all that in, and it's like you can you can just imagine what you it's take like. Winston Wolf 
and feed him quaaludes. And then that's <laughs> right. Jack Crawford in there this movie. Go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. It's such a boring Jack Crawford. What do you think we should do, Will? <laughs> I'm just doing my job, Will. Oh, man. Right. Yeah. Bad movie. Yeah. Really bad. Really bad. And, and, and bad mostly because it's just boring. Let me tell you something, too. I was so excited for this movie in 2002. Yeah. Like, I loved... Even uh, after Hannibal, you were excited about it? Because mm. it was Norton and Keitel. Gotcha. Oh, because of the cast. Emily Watson and sure. Ray Fiennes. And I was like, man, this movie has, like, this amazing cast. And it's going to, like... It's going to be so fantastic to watch. And I loved Manhunter from, like, a very early age. Like, I've seen that movie probably five or six times. Um, and still, like, I've seen it in the past five years and still enjoyed it. And I remember sitting in the theater watching this movie and thinking, like, what the fuck? This is so bad. And then watching it again now, like, it was even worse. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. With with age comes sadness. (laughs) Okay. So let's go ahead and move on to movie number two. Hmm. Okay. So number two on your list is... The 2003 remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Marcus Nisbel, uh, starring Jessica Biel, Jonathan Tucker, Eric Balfour, Arlie Ermey, has a 37% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 58% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this, I guess, um, for those who don't know, because it does stray a little, like, radically at times from the original. Like, at all of the times, <laughs> basically? Yeah. Um... So the basic premise isn't even the same, really. Uh, you know, in the original, it's they're going to visit um, her grandfather's grave uh, on their way through Texas. They've heard that there's been like you know some vandalism at the graveyard, and they go to like see if you know her grandfather's grave has been disturbed. And then while they're down there, they're going to visit the old homestead. The remake, they're a group of loathsome 20-somethings who are on their way back to Mexico for a Leonard Skinner concert, I think is what they're going to see. Um, They're smuggling drugs from Mexico so they can sell it to, quote-unquote, like, make a better life for themselves. So they're smuggling, I think, like, two pounds of marijuana is what the the plot is. Um, The hitchhiker they pick up is just some random chick that's wandering down the road who ends up killing herself in the van after talking about the bad man coming to get him. Um, They wait around, like, for an eternity for a sheriff to show up and find, like, I don't know, like, some inbred little kid, like, living in a sawmill that is building, like, dolls out of, I don't know, it's dumb. Um... Two of them go and wander and find the house um, that's like, instead of being like the semi-normal looking house that's got like these weird things around it is this gothic mansion in the middle of nowhere. Like, it looks like like Wayne Manor from Batman vs. Superman. It's just bad. Um, There's, I think without exaggeration, like 40 members... (laughs) Of Leatherface's family, like, wandering around, like, being weird and creeps and... I think 40 is an exaggeration. <laughs> it is. It's like 10. But it still is right. way too many. It's too many. They... 
it's a lot. Add this plot that Leatherface had like dermatitis or something, and that's why he cuts off people's faces to like hide his shame. Um, Arlie Army is incredibly over the top and just so poorly cast, just being himself, basically. Sure. Well, being that stereotype from Full Metal Jacket right. is all he's doing. There's no likable characters in the whole movie. I remember, like, we, you and I were talking about this when we first, like, talked about this list. And I said, I, th- I think there's something in it that I like. And watching it again, I was wrong. <laughs> like, there's nothing in it that's good. Um, You know, it, it's got this thing where she chops off Leatherface's arm with, like, a butcher knife. And then Leatherface murders the police that are coming to, like, investigate it and... Yeah. Instead of her just, like, getting in the truck and, like, escaping, there's, like, fucking, like, 30 minutes of movie after that with, like, the truck driver trying to get help at, like, the same, you know, gas station from before. And right. Then she hot wires a car with the baby and a It's just... <laughs> number one, it adds, like, a dozen plot points in addition to the original that are completely unnecessary and do nothing to increase tension or fear. It's so over-the-top violent for no reason. And this is Marcus Nispel's fault, because he's a fucking turd. <laughs> but it's just so tone-deaf to, like, anything that's scary about the original. From the very first beat of the movie to the yeah. end of the movie. Sure. And... And look, like, I'm biased because Texas Chainsaw is, like, arguably, like, maybe my favorite movie of all time, the 74 um, original. Um, But, like, even from an objective standpoint, like, it does so much wrong. And it does it wrong in the same way that House of Wax just doesn't understand what it is. Like, that it's it's trying, you you said it the best, it's just trying to be some CW version Mm of... Of a horror movie, but it's so ineffective. Like, number one, making Kemper, I think, the the boyfriend. Yeah. Like, the original... So, what makes the original, like, so great, in my opinion, is it's five people, four of whom are clearly, like, friends and know each other and are couples. And then Franklin who's this tag-along, they had to take him, you know, whiny, obnoxious guy in a wheelchair. Yeah. Who's nervous, who doesn't want to do anything, who's, like, bringing them all down. And it's... But they're still just people. They're just normal people. There's nothing, like... They're not criminals. They're not degenerates. They're just people. And... Introducing the hitchhiker in in the original movie and having him be crazy and potentially dangerous, but then them getting away from him, it builds an element of tension and then relieves your tension because they escape. But it also sets this tone, you know, with the whole, like, Venus and retrograde talk or whatever, of, like, uncanny, that it's like they've moved into, like, some realm that they're never going to get out of but that they don't know it 
that it's like you feel the tension in the way it's shot, like the way they film the heat, the way they film Texas. All that stuff is so beautifully done. And this movie is just so garish, like all the time. And there's no tension because it's just like beating you over the head with like, look how edgy we are. Like, oh, she blows her head off and then they have all these shots. Oh, that camera angle where like the camera like zooms through the hole in her head out the back of the car. So unnecessary and terrible. Yes, awful. And their reactions to having a corpse in their van are so unbelievable and beyond the pale of like what any reasonable person would do sure. that even if they had built sympathetic characters, you still have no sympathy for them in that point because there's only two of them out of the five that want to do anything about the dead body. Like they're just going to dump it in the woods or whatever. Sure. I mean, there's like, cause they want to save their weed, you know? And right. That, and and like, get to the Skinner concert. Making them like like all borderline like drug smugglers is so stupid. Yes. Because if you're gonna do that, then you gotta make the villain somewhat sympathetic. Right. In order to make it interesting. But sure. when every single character in the movie lacks any redeeming quality. I mean, Jessica sure. Beale maybe is the closest. Sure, she's and the maybe protagonist. Pepper or like, whatever, the hitchhiker girl. Yeah. That's the other thing, too, is they've already picked up one hitchhiker. Right. Who's this chick that's just, like, horny and making out with whatever blonde dude. Right, yeah. But even her, like, she still is willing to, like... They're just... They're all terrible. It's terrible. It's poorly plotted. It's incredibly poorly paced. Well, not to sound sexist, Jessica Biel's character is only there in this whole thing is to wear a white tank top and get wet. And at get some wet. Point. You're right. That, that's... I mean, it's true. I mean, it's, and you know, that you could argue that, um, fuck, so embarrassing. I can't remember her name, but the actress from a uh, Texas chainsaw, yeah, like similar, you know, she's wearing the white tank top, sure, yeah. you know, you, her nipples are hard or whatever, right, yeah. but she's, it, it's horrifying. Like watching these things happen right, to her. Yeah. And it honestly, they explain so little to you in the original movie. I mean, part of, like, when I was a I don't know, 14-year-old kid or however old it was when I saw Texas Chainsaw for the first time, part of, like, the thrill of it was it's it's the imagination, you mm-hmm. know? It's, it's your ability to fill in the gaps right. of, like, why are these things happening? Who are these people? Like, why are they able to exist in this world? And... You don't have to explain why Leatherface is wearing right. human flesh as a mask because that's enough, you know? Yeah. The mystery of that is what makes him a great villain. Not it's like, oh, he had this skin condition and people made fun of him. So he started what? Like, he didn't get like some OxyClean. He went and like cut off Kemper's face and wore it because he's embarrassed. Like, that's dumb. That's dumb motivation. All of it's dumb. Yes. You know, Pepper, though, I, I in, in my notes here, because I started taking notes for the first, like, half hour, and it got too much for me, and I just, like, stopped because yeah. um, I was taking them on my phone. But I have here, Pepper, actually, like, when the girl, like, kills herself, whines at one point, why did she have to kill herself in front of us? Like, right. why do I have to deal with the, the trauma of this? Right. Like, um, so, yes, yeah, even she's not, like, good at all, like... 
Yeah, Beale's the only character that actually seems to have the right idea in mind with any of it. Um, but it's it's so ludicrous sure. because like I don't know, it's all like just ridiculous. It and is like the, and then they, like they like there's no grittiness to it like whatsoever. Which I think the first one like that. I, I mean, I know it was filmed like kind of on the cheap and stuff like right. that. But it's like it had this feeling of grittiness. Right. Like you felt the heat. You feel nothing here. Like in terms of the setting whatsoever. I mean, honestly, you just kind of feel bored and annoyed the yeah. whole time. Like, like the the whole like. Everything about this is wrong. Like everything. Right. Like, like Leatherface's den in the basement. Like, it's just it's so bad. It's just it's it's what it's, it's uh haunted valley. Like was the big thing around here when yeah. I was a kid. Like that was local at Bob Jackson's farm. That was like the haunted hayride type thing. Like before they started doing hayrides, you just walked right. around. But it was there, there was always that thing with like the the guy, um, the killer in the room. Yeah, the killer in the, the room, where like the the the, right. the the surgeon who's like you know like the crazy mad scientist exactly. surgeon who's like cutting off somebody's arm or something and fake blood squirts everywhere and he has a big needle and sprays you with the water by like pressing the syringe and like it was so cartoonish right. like and just like you know it, that, that's what it feels like to me. It's as bad as. The similar scene in House of a Thousand Corpses when they go into Doctor Satan's right, right, lair. sure. It's what it is. It's 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 a pastiche of a bunch of horror tropes that's supposed to make you go, ooh like that's creepy. But instead, it's like so they try to emulate the scene where um, curly hair glasses gets hit in the head and dragged into the room, and then the door slams. Yeah, which is in my opinion like one of my favorite. Scenes one of the most the effective yeah. scenes. In any horror movie. Yeah. Just because it's so sudden. Yeah. And it ends. And then you're left, like, back outside. Like, you don't know what's happening in there because that's that's the horror of right. it. Is the not knowing. Sure. And it, la- like, that scene, I mean, maybe that scene's, like, a minute and a half long in the remake. Uh-huh. But it's such a bland, yeah. unnecessary minute and a half where nothing is left to the imagination that it loses any effectiveness. Agreed. They can't even get the sound effect on the door right. Right. One of the most effective things in the original was like the the sound that door makes when it slams. Yeah, the scrape and the and slam. the ferocity in which like Leatherface, like um, Gunnar Hansen, like right. slams that. Like they lose all of it. Like and none other, of it's there. The other thing too is that you see that red wall behind him with like things on. it. Mm-hmm. But you never, it's never long enough to like fetishize what those things are. Sure. It's just another small, weird facet of this house of horrors. And that's the scary thing. It's like what you see out of the corner of your eye, not like what's right in front of you. And the fact that like this fucking music video director yeah. doesn't understand that, you know, less is more sometimes. Yeah. Like, I, I would have been opposed to a remake of this movie regardless. Like, well, I don't... one of the common things for people that like this um, is to sit there and argue that if you take it away from the original and judge it on its own merits, that it's good. No, but it's not even good then. It's just boring. It's like it's like the Hills Have Eyes remake, which was another movie that almost made this list because I hate that movie like mm-hmm. so much. That... You have to understand, like, what makes something scary. And the hostile movies are not scary movies because it's just 
showing you someone being tortured to death over and over under a bare bones plot. And this is just like, I mean, number one, it's really crass in the sense that like, look at these deformed Texas hillbillies that have like lived in this inbred like compound basically forever without like any kind of outside influence. And they've been allowed to just like breed and they quote unquote, like they take care of their own, but it's like, no, like that's not scary. You right. know, and maybe in like the right context, sure. There's something effective about context. that, but not in this context. Right. And the original hills have eyes. That's the good context. Is it's this family right. of people that live on this abandoned military test range that have been forced to like live off the land in order to continue to survive and steal people from the road when they come by. And this is like number one. Why is anybody ever going here? You know, right. like they've got all these. They find, like, all these cars and all these things, like, and that's, like, you know, when they're walking through the woods in the original, and it pans past the tree that's got, like, a nail through a watch and then some dentures and stuff, and it's just this brief shot, Yeah, and you are discovering it as a person. They're not discovering it as the characters, but they're discovering it, and they still continue to go on. Right. None of them were even dead at that point, and they're making the stupidest. Well, decisions. Eric Balfour, like early on, like that character, like I think it's him, runs after that little boy, like in like the abandoned yeah, bar. Jedediah. Yeah, Jedediah. Yeah, Jedediah. Yeah. Um, of course. Like this whole thing, like is like there's like a baby dolls like right. hanging up outside this dark like empty place where it's like they see something rush past like a person and he runs into the darkness in this place and oh, runs after right. it's like they're just fucking stupid and they you have know, this a is a common thing though i had the same problem if you remember with um which i think is a better movie don't get me wrong but i had the same problem with like wolf creek is like they they, they were constantly making these characters i think mean, house of wax same thing they're constantly making these movies with these like kids that are just these characters that are supposed to be the heroes or protagonists to some degree that are just the most unlikable fucking people in the world. Yeah, and really dumb. Yeah, and dumb on top of it. Yeah. Right. Like, and you know what? Like, you have to have a, a, a mo- even if you're trying to portray people as real, there's still something about, about their humanity that there should be a modicum of sympathy you have right. for them. And you and I have had this argument about Wolf Creek for 15 years, yeah. 16 years now, however yeah. old that movie yeah. is. Those people are still, until the bad thing happens, mm. just on vacation. These five idiots have a corpse in the back of their van right. and are going to go explore the weird shape they see in the fucking abandoned mill. Right. This is why you're an idiot. Like, right, yeah. you don't leave that gas station. Yeah. You, the first sign of civilization, we'll wait here for the, the two hours for the sheriff. Sure. We're going to wait here. Yeah. So you're, it's, it's bright it's lit you're not going to drive like out into the wilderness it, nobody gives them directions to the mill they just go find it like right, you know, yeah, it's like 1970s yeah. finding that shit like, right, get out yeah. of here well that's the other thing is nothing about this movie actually feels like 1973 no, aside from the, like he's like he's got his he just came from vacation in mexico and is wearing his work clothes right like so it says kemper so that when they right. call him kemp like you know sure because it's, it's his last name right and you know that like He's a working man that's just trying to make a better life for his beautiful girlfriend. And that's like where you're supposed to have the sympathy. But that's, it's, 
it's it's the fucking like to bring Winston Wolf up again. It's you can be a character and not have character, right? Yeah, and that's it. They're just they're they're cutouts right. that are like made mm. to get murdered, and they say like they all have some like they have one personality trait. Yeah, they're the horny surfer, right. the nerdy like hanger on, yeah. the tough but loving boyfriend. You know what I mean? Yeah. The adventurous hitchhiker and it's just all set up for them to die yeah and you know what like i can take that in a horror movie but this is a major motion picture release that's a remake of like my favorite movie of all time and you can go fuck yourself like it's just it's bad man and yeah there's not a single thing i laughed a couple times just a couple lines because of how bad they are um most notably the like this, the random utterance of, or not even utterance, like like yelling from Beal at one point of like, "That's not your baby." That's not your baby. Right. Like, um, and, you know, and it's like the the guy in the wheelchair that's supposed to be Grandpa, like right. in the house that they first encounter. Yeah. His colostomy bag is shooting liquid out. Yeah, like yeah, he's grabbing her ass. Like yeah. it's like, right? How many deplorable, right? Stupid things can you put in a movie? That's supposed to gross you out and like make you uncomfortable, yeah. but it's just dumb. Right. It, there's yeah. there's there's not an element like where it's like I still like could watch House of Wax and have like think it's kind of fun right, at I times and how like there's nothing fun. It's just bad and right, there's nothing bad. fun about it. It's a really bad movie and it lacks any amount of fun. There's nothing redeeming to it. And no. the scene I was thinking of is the scene where he's chasing her through the slaughterhouse mm-hmm. and she ends up like cutting off his arm yeah. i remembered being more effective but yeah. it's not it's just not good i remember liking something down in the basement at one point like some something about it like maybe it was like the nails like that you, like I, the nail marks on the walls or something when i first saw this movie in the theater yeah like when i first saw that i was like oh that's kind of cool that like right like it's just gonna be like a more graphic version of the original sure but I assumed, because it starts, like, in the not in the same way, but it starts with the Larroquette voiceover. Sure. And then adds, you know, like, I think four lines of dialogue to the end of it. Yeah. That, again, like, unnecessary. Like, unnecessary. Just keep it the, the Larroquette way voiceover is. is actually the best thing about this movie. Right. And it happens in the first, like, fucking 15 seconds. Right, yeah. Um, And I, you know, I'll be honest, like, I thought the newspaper clippings thing was kind of a cool touch yeah, in the beginning. Sure. Although... Watching it in, like, HD now, like, it just seems cheap. Yeah. Um, and overproduced. Yeah. I really thought, like, it was going to be... I would probably... If this movie was more like the Psycho remake, where it was just a remake... Even if they had set it in the modern day, or whatever. Like, you keep it, like, relatively the same. I would probably not hate it as much. But just the tone-deaf, nonsensical reimagining of something that doesn't need to be reimagined is just it's just bad man yeah. it's bad oh okay. my god and all the other ones that have come after it like the beginning and leatherface and all that shit oh i watch that shit <sighs> jesus like you know what it's like it's like how like star wars fans feel about the prequels I don't have that, like, level of animosity towards the prequels anymore, but man, those movies, like, the Texas Chainsaw, like, modern ones, Mm -hmm. I'd rather watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Mm. I'd rather watch fucking Leatherface with, um, all those people from the 90s, Matthew McConaughey and shit. Oh, the new generation? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was funny. 
Right, I don't want to. I want to laugh. <laughs> anyway, it's an awful movie. Yes, hate it. Okay, so what beats that? Damn. Um, okay, so number one on your list is The Wicker Man from two thousand and six, directed by Neil Labute, uh, starring Nicolas Cage, Ellen Burstyn, Kate Behan, Francis Conroy, Molly Parker. It is a fifteen percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a seventeen percent from audiences. You want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about this movie and what you hate about it so much? So, Nicolas Cage is a ship's officer in California, I guess. Highway patrolman. Yeah. Um, void of personality. Terrible human being. Who, in an effort to rescue a doll that was dropped out of a window, witnesses the vehicular death of a woman and her child. And it sends him into a depression spiral that he takes a leave from the force. Um, gets a letter from a former fiance of his saying that like her daughter is missing on this island off of like Puget Sound or something. I think is where they said it. Um, and she wants him to come and help her like find her daughter. So he goes and ham fistedly like investigates this island of women who are gardeners and beekeepers. Um, and runs afoul of them and basically gets sucked into a plot where he's a sacrifice that's going to appease their pagan god to bring back a bountiful harvest. Summer Isle, I think is what it's called. Summer Isle. Mm -hmm. Um, and ends up getting burned in a giant, uh, wicker statue. So like, a what's it called? Um. Not edifice, but uh, what's the thing where like effigy, right? Yeah, yeah, giant effigy. effigy. Yeah. Um, based on what is it like seventy two, seventy three, something like that. Yeah, I think um, so. British horror movie that is ostensibly no, not even. It's a similar plot in the sense that it's a patrolman that's going to an island to investigate a missing uh, person, um, who also ends up like running afoul, but is much more. I don't know, organized in his search and just a much better telling of this story. Nicholas Cage, maybe, and this is saying something, maybe his worst performance <laughs> ever. It's completely, he veers between comatose and ridiculously over the top and when i say veers those are the only two things that are happening in his performance yeah he's it's either like literally asleep right. or like kind of sleepwalking through it or gesticulating and moaning and punching yeah. women in the face and now listen as a remake it is god awful it's completely like in the same vein as texas chainsaw it is a tone-deaf reimagining of a movie that got everything right the first time. The original Wicker Man is a fantastic movie. It's incredibly taut, and it builds, like, a level of unease and creepiness slowly. Like, you know, um, the policeman isn't, like, threatening people right away or, I don't know, like, shitting on their culture. Like, he's genuinely just trying to, like, do his job. And Nicolas Cage, number one, gets a man murdered right away because the guy says you know they don't like me bringing people you can't tell them and he's like oh yeah dude on the plane dropped me off like you know like fuck fuck you nicholas cage 
And then, like, immediately, like, insults everybody, is screaming at them, right. like, screams at a schoolroom full of children, yeah. talks about their murdered classmate, uh-huh. and then goes and screams at some other old women, and is, like, like, I don't know, just, he's just terrible. And it's, like, it's so terrible that it's hilarious. And if, if you've never seen this movie, I'm sure you've seen the gif of, like, Nicolas Cage screaming about bees... Yeah. Or Nicolas Cage punching a woman in the face. Sure. Or Nicolas Cage is a bear in a bear suit punching people in the face. Oh, there's a great YouTube video of just basically all the times that he... Um, it's, it's like eight minutes long or something like that. But it's just a cut of like all the times he physically assaults women or like yells at them and stuff like that. Right. And it's, it's a really funny video just because it shows you how over the top all of it is. He's not even a good detective. Like... No. Instead of, like, using deduction and subtle persuasion and trying to, like, gently work his way in to find out the truth, he's just right away like, you you fucking did something, and I'm going to bring you all down, and you're all a bunch of perverts. The thing is, he's not a detective. Right? He's, he's, he's literally a... just a patrolman. Right. Yeah. Which maybe that's the point of maybe, maybe yeah maybe. like I don't I don't know maybe I need to re- re- reevaluate this Neil Labute classic <laughs> that it's like about how you shouldn't like you should need to stay in your lane maybe um, by the time that he's dying at the end and that scene takes it's a long end. it feels like it's like eight minutes long like from yeah. when they knock him out to when he's in the Wicker Man to when he's lit on fire to when it collapses it is a long time and a lot of that is just cutting back to scenes of the women like standing there like kind of cheering yeah and there's a lot of those like including his ex and his daughter uh-huh um oh and i forgot about the coda so there's a coda at the end that apparently like that's what these women do is they go out into the real world and get impregnated so they can propagate their you know lifestyle like they can continue right and then maybe at some point like draw because i think they're cops so it's James Franco and Jason Ritter, I think. Right, like who meet um, one of the young girls. Oh, what is her name? Lila Sobieski. Yeah, Lila so- Lila Sobieski, and the girl that plays Nicolas Cage's like former paramour. Yeah. That meet them and like at a bar and they're trying to seduce them. So it's like you're creepy. Like oh, it's gonna happen again. Right. But it's like good, right? Like if you're pulling Nicolas Cage out of the world, like. Just keep it going. Like, that's fine. If 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 that's how Summer Al runs and you're, like, ridding us of, like, these kind of people one at a time, have at it. Like, I'm cool yeah. with that. Because I am buying you a drink and taking you home on the first night. Is, like, um, What do you think the point of... It, it, the whole thing, it's like, I haven't given it... I guess I've given it more thought than I probably think. But what, what the hell's the point? What, what's he getting at here? Because it's like... You're not writing this, like, Cage character and having him, like... And maybe it's Cage just doing his own thing, but it's like... This guy's obviously just supposed to be a fucking misogynistic brute. No, but he's not. He's not. He's supposed to be the lawman with the heart of gold that everybody loves. Like, when when his fellow patrol officer, the woman, comes to his house... Mm -hmm. She's obviously, like, romantically inclined towards him. And she thinks he's a good guy and she wants to make sure he's okay. Right. Like, they make it, like, because his heart's broken because he got left by 
um, whatever that actress is that plays his, like, former fiance. So he's looking at, like, a I'm okay, you're okay type book, and um, it's just, I, I think you're just supposed to view him as this dedicated guy that is still in love with this woman that's just trying to do what's best for her. Yeah. And you're supposed to be like, man, these people are so weird and creepy. And it's like, they're not. They're just these quiet people who eat dinner in the same place or eat lunch or whatever and make honey. And he's like, I need honey for this. Where's the honey? You got bees? Where's your bees? Like, it's just, it's so weird. And then he's allergic to the bees and he's like running around the beehives. Right. Going into like fucking that's what i'm saying he's, a, he's it's like the to some degree you have to know you're writing a character that's just this dumb boorish male right like i mean like who and it's like if you don't realize that then there's a problem but if they do realize it it means that there's something else going on i only bring it up because wesley morris who is somebody who i'm not a fan of as a critic necessarily like good decent enough writer but i don't like him as a critic from the boston globe he says that he thinks that, and I didn't know this, apparently Butte has been attacked by women a lot throughout of his career for like things like gender stereotypes yeah. and stuff like that. And that this is like kind of like a tongue, tongue-in-cheek apology in some way that, um, like a sorry, not sorry, like it has the... Like the right. And, and and maybe that's what he's doing. That does not make this a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But um, at all. Or even interesting. I actually think it's the opposite. I think that in... I really think... You, will not, you cannot convince me... In order for that to be true, the entire movie is parody. And right. I don't think it is. I think you're legitimately supposed to empathize and root for Nicolas Cage and be truly horrified when he's getting killed at the end. And the reason I think that is because the James Franco character is played as completely kind-hearted and sympathetic. Now, he's trying to pick up women, but he's friendly about it. He's not not a creep. He's not trying to, like, pressure her in anything. So I think it's making women the bad guy. I think it's, you know, if you really want to, because the reason the first movie is so effective is that they're a cult. And they're a cult that thrives on this human sacrifice idea. But they have men and women living together. They're a community, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And in this movie, they're not a community. The men are servants. The men are mute basically like pack animals that just do the heavy lifting which is another thing that these are even though like the women are like sort of tough like their men are still the ones that have to do all the the labor they're women who have drawn away from like the patriarchal society of like the real world and they even say that i think at one point i think lady summerall actually says something similar to that sure and I think it's. I think men- there's something about like yeah, uh, men and all their wars and blah, right. Blah, I yeah. I think it's actually kind of an attack on feminism in a lot of ways. Like I don't yeah. see it as parody, and I don't think because yeah. if it's parody, it's brilliant. Like if you right, look yeah. at it like that, if it really is like sure. he's a, a caricature, 
But they don't let you sympathize with the women either. Like, the women are no, all cold, you know, manipulative. I mean, they're all stereotypes. Like, there's not a single, like, well-written or rounded character in this movie. Sure. But, um... Molly Parker, one of the biggest stereotypes, probably. Like, the school... Like, right, exactly. School mom, Just yeah. snipey and cold mm-hmm. and... I don't know, like... like having like this petty joy in someone else's you know yeah, what i mean like, the only the only thing that he doesn't do that would be just as offensive is accuse him of all being lesbians i mean i'm and i'm surprised that didn't happen in this movie i i, I think it's the implication <laughs> honestly yeah. like it's just it's it's look i laughed a dozen times watching this movie sure and it's number one on the list because it even as much as i hate is that texas chainsaw remake it is just a smidge more tone deaf in its adaptation of the original source material. Just yeah. a, just a little bit. And in the fact that like your protagonist is the most unlikable character in the movie. Well, the only thing that it has in common with the original is that there's a guy who's a cop, not even a detective. He's a detective in the first one. Right. It's, a, it's a cop. It's law enforcement going to an island to look for a missing child and he gets burned at the end those are the similarities and here's the thing they want him on that island in the first movie right where they have brit eklund like get naked and Mm -hmm. smack her hands and sing a song because they're trying to seduce him right they're trying to lull him into a sense of security Mm -hmm. you know to keep him there so they can murder him they they need to lead him through guile and subterfuge to going into the wicker man yeah and they do it because he willingly goes in because he's looking for the missing the missing kid yeah in the wicker man right he has to voluntarily go in this is like such the opposite of that like it's not even they gotta like after he in like has a royal rumble with them out in the woods yeah they gotta like knock him out and put him in there it's just yeah it's so bad. Yeah. And on top of that, it's a beautiful setting. Sure. And it's filmed so poorly. Like, you never get any of, like, this, like, lonely majesty of this island out yeah. in the middle of, like, the Pacific. Right. It's just, it's your complaint about Borman's Excalibur, you know? Uh-huh. It's like, I'm going to run through the woods this way. Sure. Now we're going to flip the camera, I'm going to run through yeah. the woods this way. I'm going to walk yeah. down this hill this way. I'm going to walk up this hill the other way. Yeah. And it's just... Although Texas Chainsaw does that same thing. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we didn't even get into that. Right. But there's like wood scenes just like that where it's right. like she's going one direction, she's coming back the other direction, and they're not the same places. Right. It's like the the set masters or whatever, like, find this one patch of woods. Like, you know right. what? Yeah. I can look at this from four angles. It looks like different woods. <laughs> yeah, this right. is where we're filming. We're getting our. I mean, let's just get these coverage shots over with, like, and just get this, get this, get this coverage done. And you walk this way, and then we're going to film you, you walking you, back this way, and we'll just find ways to fit it in. But if you could pan fifty feet in another direction, it's like the back of a Seven Eleven or something. <laughs> right. Um, it's hilarious. And it is. It's. But it's it's certainly one of the worst damn remakes I've ever seen. Right. Like, genuinely, next to House of Wax, more than House of Wax, was the most fun to watch, but yeah. so bad. Oh, yeah. And only fun to watch in the most, like, complete opposite. Like, you have to watch it for nothing and for what it 
like purports yeah. to be. And I just looked it up while I was sitting here to see Nicolas Cage was a producer on this. Um, so I have a feeling that like some of that, those acting choices were completely left up oh, to him at right. that point. And, but even if you look at the dialogue, there's almost no other way to like sell that dialogue. Like he's sure. so from the app, like for ever, from when he decides that he's going to do it, like yeah. he's a zombie. For the first right. fifteen minutes of this movie, yeah. until he like gets like goes no, you're out. right. The dialogue you have to be dickish. Right. Like I mean, that's the only thing. I mean, you, can, you force yeah. this man to fly you to the island first of all, right? With what, like a Benjamin or something? Like yeah. oh, I think Thomas Edison like says uh-huh, that. Right. You, not Thomas Edison. He's on the door. Right, that's yeah, really dumb. That'd be really funny. <laughs> it would be. I think uh, Benjamin Franklin <laughs> says that uh, you want to take me over there, and like I won't spoil your secret there, guy. And then, like, the dude's dead. Yeah. He gives yeah. him up. Like, he walks up on the thing. He's like, hey, um. Well, he doesn't here. give him up immediately. Like, the the woman says something, and then he gives him up. Like, she right. she implies, like, she already knows, and then he just gives him up. Right. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> it's so bad. So bad. Yeah. It's awful. And, like, and every did- and every actor and actress in this is just because their characters are so awful. Right. They can't even deliver any kind of... You can't even talk about their performances because I just feel bad for all of them. Except for Cage. I mean, Cage is, like, bad even with a bad character. He's just bad. Right, but, what else are they going to do? It's like, I I mean, I would imagine that in a normal film, like, as an actor, you find some internal motivation to, like, that character, and then you're playing off of your... You know, you have a foil that's, like, playing off of it. Sure. And you're building a character from that. And you have this, like, bullhorn with buck teeth in a suit. Like, rah, 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 like, all the time. Like, what are you supposed to do? Sure. It's like, yeah. it's like you're acting and you have, like, a mallard, like, across yeah. from you, like, squawking at you. And it's like, I can't emote <laughs> off that. But at least I'm getting a paycheck, I guess. Yeah. Because, I mean, Molly Parker, Ellen Burstyn, um, you know, Francis, talented, Francis Conroy. Like, I mean. Talented actresses. Sure. I, you know what? Even sure. Lily Sobieski has given better performances than... She's nothing in this movie. Like, right, she's yeah. the Britt Eklund character of this movie, yeah. which is supposed to be the sweet, soft blonde that's seducing him to stay on the island. And she's like, if you leave, take me with you. And that is all her character development. Right. And then she runs away. Yeah. And then she's happy he's dead. It's like... Yeah. But again, he's like fucking foghorn leghorn out there like <laughs> stomping around like but i'll say i'll say i'll say where's the missing girl she's my daughter she's my daughter yeah it's it's uh it's such an awful plot too like the way that they manipulate that plot like to and then like their refound connection again that comes out of nowhere is really creepy to me right it's like it's like he she left him and because in, in a better movie, in a better adaptation, like, look, if you take the basic plot points of this, which is man is, like, psychologically lost because he got dumped by the love of his life, has a terrible thing happen, she tries to reconnect, and he abandons all of his responsibility to go get her, right? and then finds that she's part of a cult and tries to solve a mystery, that basic plot is not the Wicker Man, mm-hmm. but it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and with, like, better writing and more nuance, I honestly think, like, if you want to remake a movie, remake this piece of shit. Because I think you could actually find a decent psychological thriller out of those plot points. Right. 
but it's so ham-fisted in connecting those lines mm-hmm. with like i mean legitimately maybe one of like the 10 worst performances by a major motion picture actor of all time maybe like the worst i don't know it's so bad that none of it matters there's no psychology to it there's right. no tension to it no and again, like talking about it, like saying those plot points out loud, that's a pretty cool movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, again, it's not the Wicker Man. Right. Like you do it differently. You can still have the ritual sacrifice at the end or whatever, but sure. you get there naturally and you build a character and you build sympathy and you build mystery. And then you're horrified when this character that you've come to connect with is killed instead of like, thank fucking God, he's finally dead, mm-hmm. which is like your reaction and laughing. Right. Sure. Like, oh, get right. me out of yeah. this. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what, what's the daughter's name? Rowan, Rowan. Rowan Daddy yeah. loves you, Rowan. You're like, no, you don't. Right. You've known this chick's been alive for like like sure. 15 minutes of screen time. Right, yeah. yeah. Rowan, save your father, Rowan. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so bad. It is. I'm actually kind of happy I can kind of do a Nicholas Cage funny. voice. <laughs> you got a little cage going. I've never tried it before. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to tell me what was in that picture frame. <laughs> Kicks it, breaks it, punches her in the face. It's, I'm not leaving till I get answers. It's so ridiculous. It's actually more Jimmy Stewart than Nick. That is, Cage, a, that but is, it, yeah, you got it. It definitely serves its purpose. Right. So yeah, really uh, bad movie. Um, that's really, it, this has been really therapeutic. I'm not gonna right. lie. Like I've actually like really enjoyed <laughs> like shitting on some movies for once, as opposed to like singing their praises. Yeah. The worst is when we do, like, a best of list, and we've committed to it, and then I watch a movie, like, the day we're going to do it, and I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, that's happened, like this, that's happened this, a number of times. This is not yeah. the movie I've remembered. Yeah, that's a good thing I watch them so far ahead of time a lot of times. So you can so tell like, me, like, yeah, you might want to reconsider. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Because my it's all based off nostalgia. Like, this is actually based off of, not all of it, but a lot of, like, my picks are based off nostalgia, whereas this is more, like, calculated hatred for, sure. like, certain movies. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, it, it, it takes me, like, usually a couple of days to come up with a good list that I then pare down for our best ofs. Right. I did this list in 15 minutes. <laughs> like, they just started pouring out of me. Yeah. And then I'd remember one and have to go back. Right. There's been some really bad remakes. Yeah. Mm. Now, we'll have to do another genre at some point for remakes. Because there's a lot of bad action remakes and stuff, too. Sci-fi, too. Sci-fi remakes are really bad. Right. Yeah. Sci-fi fantasy, maybe, because then you could do Clash of the Titans, you could do RoboCop, you could do Total Recall, all that. I don't look forward to those lists, but... RoboCop movie is so bad. Yeah. Because, anyway, we'll save it. Yeah. Ugh. But remakes on the opposite side, so good remakes might be good list, too, at some point. Right, that would take me a lot longer. Sure. A lot longer to think of. Yeah. Okay, so that's our list tonight for everybody. Um, next week, uh, sometime next week, in the next 10 days or so, we'll be back with um, continuing our journey through 1980s B-horror movies. We'll be back with the year 1986 here in another uh, week or so. And then the week after that, we will be doing the best movies of 2004. Um, so that's what we have planned here for the near future. Uh, remember, uh, you can help us out by, uh, liking, uh, sharing on Facebook, uh, friending us on Facebook. Uh, you can also leave reviews for us. Um, if you have any list ideas of your own, you can contact us through Facebook. You can contact us through email at two guys, five movies at gmail.com. That's the number two and five, two guys, five movies at gmail.com. 
And uh, thank you very much for listening tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot. Have a good night. Have a good night.